everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. How many sports fans do we have with us this morning? All right, we are in the thick of it. With the Stanley Cup playoffs, Final Four, we have NBA Finals in play. We also have, you know, the Euro Cup, those of you that are in soccer. And I'm going to try and pronounce a Brazilian team called the Corinths, okay, that you may be cheering for this morning. But I am a contact sports kind of guy. I enjoy uh, physicality when it comes Uh, to sports. Have you ever found yourself sitting on the couch watching a game and you feel this, you see this impact happen on the screen and you feel it where you're watching from? Now, for some of you, you may, you may be wondering, I've never felt that before. I want to show you uh, a short clip of a bone crunching hit for some of you that may not be into uh, impact sports. All right, so we're going to play this clip for you right now. Oh my goodness. Let's see it in slow motion. Oh. Now listen, here's the deal. When it comes with, with feeling that feeling, like you may not be the, the mother of that individual, a friend, you may be cheering for the other team, but somewhere you just feel for that person. That is what we call empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand and have concern and share the feelings of someone else. And the opposite of empathy is apathy. Apathy is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And today we are going to be in week four of a series that we've called How to Win in a Toxic World. And I don't know about you, but I've personally been experiencing the growing divide between empathy, where we care for people, that feeling of concern, and apathy, where we just doesn't seem like it matters anymore of what happens. And so I want to invite you to uh, go on this journey with us. My name is Pastor Pat, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Moncton Wesleyan. I want to welcome you that are watching online today. Married to my beautiful wife, Shannon, and I have the privilege of being a dad to four amazing kids one of which is graduating uh, middle school, which is kind of, kind of sad, you know? Um, but I want to give a shout out to some of our grads today that we honored. And those of you that are, are completing courses over this period of time, um, we just want to celebrate you today. But apathy and empathy. Here's what apathy sounds like. Apathy sounds like this. Apathy says, it's not my problem. Right? Have you ever said that or have you ever heard somebody say this? We're going to expose apathy here for just a minute. Apathy also sounds like this. It says, I didn't cause it. Right? It's not my fault. All right? How many, how many parents do we have here that you've been raising children and you've heard things like this? It wasn't me. Right? Also, apathy says this. It says, I can't fix it. So sometimes we feel like I can't do anything about it. So it's not my 
problem. And so where is apathy creeping into our culture today? Why is it creeping into our culture? And so I did a little bit of research this week and and came to some stunning results when it comes to being apathetic. And it, it is this, you see, we are the first culture, the first group of people, this is kind of like makes us nervous, right? Like we are kind of the guinea pigs, but we are the first to be uh, faced with a barrage of depressing news stories and images, right? We know what's happening all around the world and like no other group of people in history have we been kind of exposed to all this information each and every day. And there's a term that's called empathy fatigue is a real thing. Where is anybody with me this morning where you're just like, I, I, just, I just don't feel anything anymore. And so we want to hit this toxicity that we are faced with as a culture. Again, research shows this. It shows that those of us who study, uh, studies show that the more time we spend on social media, the higher we score in narcissism. Narcissism is a word that we've been hearing a lot more talk of where it is the, the, the way that we view life, where we view everything through the lens of how is it going to affect me, right? And so we live in a culture that is very me-focused and it's so unhealthy, And lastly, again, in in terms of social media, it causes us to think about ourselves, right? Like, let's let's be honest, iPhones, iPhones, iPads, right? Selfies, right? Like who, really, right? Like who are we really trying to get in the picture when it's a selfie, right? We want to make sure who's there, right? Look at the person beside you to say, you, right? Right? Like we are talking about ourselves right now, and this is the culture that we're in. Like, let's be honest, how many of you ever been in, you know, uh, with the most important people in your life? You're with family, maybe close friends, at an event that is a celebration for you to, you know, commemorate. And have you ever felt yourself really just thinking about, how can I capture? best picture so I can post it on social media. Right? We're with the most important people we could ever be with. But we're focusing on ourselves and what it might look like to those on social media. Isn't that just a little bit twisted? Isn't it? I want to expose apathy this morning and I don't know about you, but it is truly my desire to be able to become a person that has more empathy. Empathy is concern and care and understanding when it comes to other people. Apathy is a lack of concern. I want to grow my empathy. And so I have good news today. There is hope. You see, because as Christians... We have a leader that displayed the greatest empathy that has ever been displayed on planet Earth. I don't know about you, but don't you think that Christians should be the greatest example of what empathy 
is. I'm reminded of a verse of scripture found in Romans that says this. It says that he displayed love for us while we were yet sinners. Think about that for a moment. Jesus loved us even when we were all about ourselves. When we were all about what we wanted to do, Jesus loved us. Even in our biggest mess in life, and we were trying to figure it out on our own, Jesus loved us first. And so we have the greatest leader. So we are going to jump into a story that I am so excited about as we learn to increase our empathy. And so would you turn with me to uh, the, the gospel of Luke. Luke 10 is where we're going this morning, verse 25. And we're going to read a story that whether you've been in church or, or not, you've heard this story or you have heard this term. And Luke 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. We're going to look at this, and some of you maybe didn't know this part, but Luke is, his, that book is written by a doctor, Dr. Luke, all right? Can we just maybe stop for a moment, and can we just give a big shout out to all of our doctors and frontline workers this morning that, um, gosh, over the last, you know, several months and years um, have been really facing a difficult time. But Luke is a doctor. And so if you're reading the book of Luke, here's what you got to know. Doctors like to get right to the point, don't they? They like to just give you the facts. Typically, we don't have a whole lot of time for the details. We're just going to cut right to the chase. And so we're going to read this story of Luke here. And we got to know that... Um, he is going to address a story. And so we're going to go to uh, Luke 10, verse 25. Here's the backdrop, okay? Jesus is speaking to a group of people, okay? Possibly in a, in a temple, in a building. Jesus is talking to a group of people. And this lawyer is part of the crowd, okay? And so this lawyer is going to begin asking him some questions, all right? And so let's see how this story unfolds. Verse 25 says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and he says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's what I love about this, is if you catch this, it says an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're in a crowd of people or a group of people and somebody just puts you on the spot? How many people enjoy that feeling? Like, I know there's some of you. There are some of you that are like, bring it on, okay? Russell Smith, I seen you here this morning. You're one of those guys that you're just like, okay, hit me with your question. But I don't know about you, but I would feel a little intimidated if a lawyer stood up and they're questioning what I'm about to say. But this is what's going down here in the temple that day. And so Jesus, in true Jesus form, what does he do? He doesn't answer the question. 
What does he do? He asks a question. And so he tosses it right back to the lawyer and, and he, he, he respects his intelligence for who he is and he tosses the question to him and he says, Mr. Lawyer, you tell me what it says. You explain to me what the law says and how I can have eternal life. How do you read it? I love this. And let's go to the next one. The lawyer responds. And so he says, this is how I interpret the law. And he reads it aloud to everybody. And he says this, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he says this at the end, and love your neighbor as your Self. Help me out with this. Love your who? As yourself. Let's try it again. Love your who? As your. I read that over a few times this week, and I'm thinking, love my neighbor like myself? Love my neighbor as myself. And I began to think, I kind of like myself a whole lot. We don't usually have a problem with that. But the law says I have to love my neighbor like I love myself? That sounds difficult. Jesus responds with this in the next verse. He says, lawyer, you've answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. Here's the deal. I think that for those of us who have spent some time in church, we often know the right answer. Don't we? But where sometimes the gap is, is from our head knowledge to it becoming a heart experience experience until it changes our habits. You see, the lawyer is questioning this because he wants to know who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And the lawyer knows the right answer in the moment but I don't know if he's actually had the experience where he's questioning whether he can actually do it. Which brings up another point that sometimes we know a whole lot about God. And we know the songs, we know some of the verses, we know the cliches, but we don't know God. And I believe that that is a growing divide that, that I'm just sounding like a warning to myself that the days of us just getting by with knowing about God without the evidence of knowing him is going to be a problem. You see, how do we love our neighbor? How do we do that? I... I, I 
I just want to just share this one thing that loving our neighbor first starts with me knowing God myself by me spending time with him. Just like you would spend time with your husband or with your wife or with a friend. The more you spend time with them, the more you get to know them. If we're going to ask the question, how do we love our neighbor? We need to first start by knowing God for ourselves. More than a Sunday experience. More than just songs that we sing or a verse that we memorize. Are you guys with me this morning? But there needs to be a shift where it goes from our head to our heart. So it changes our habits. Okay? And so... It starts by knowing God. When we begin to know God more and more, we begin to hear his voice clearer and louder. And then a shift begins to happen. We can then begin to love ourselves. And we can begin to be okay with who we are. And we can begin to realize that God has something special for us to do with our lives. As we're connected with him, we gain a new understanding of his love for us. And then what happens? Then we can love somebody else. That is the beginning stages of how we love our neighbor I don't know about you, but I know that we want to be that type of person, don't we? I don't know about you, but I think that that's the kind of church I want to be a part of is a church that's helping people. Maybe you missed the pre-service this morning, but we were able to go uh, down to Harvest House this week and, and highlight one story uh, of my new friend, Richard, who may be here this morning, but be able to see just the life change that has happened in his life. Let's continue on with our story of the lawyer and with Jesus. Let's continue on with the next slide. Here's we go. The lawyer says this, he says he wanted to justify himself. We're just going to go back to that last verse. He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked this question. He says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because again, you've got to look at this in the context of a lawyer in the court of law. If you've ever found yourself there, the whole premise is, is to find out the details and the facts of what the truth is, what the law says, to see if you're guilty or not, if you measure up or if you don't. So the lawyer is viewing this story and he's saying, I know what the law says. It says I need to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And I need to love my neighbor. So Jesus, tell me who is my neighbor? Is it Steve that lives below me? Is it Terry that's across the street? Is it Mrs. Trites that lives above me? Like Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because if you can't tell me who my neighbor is, then I can't love like I'm supposed to do until you tell me. Are you guys tracking with me? He's pressing Jesus for an answer. Look at the person beside you and say, who's my neighbor? 
Who's my neighbor, right? We need to determine who this is if we're to love them. Again, Jesus is standing on the spot. People are watching. What's he going to say? Jesus, in true form, in true fashion, reverts to a story. Sit down, Mr. Lawyer. I've got a story for you. And so in front of these people, Jesus begins to say this. He said, there was a man that was heading on a trip. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. I looked it up. It's about a 25 kilometer walk. Those of you that are into running and triathlons, it's about a half a marathon, 25 kilometers. This was a dangerous stretch of road at that time. And this man was walking on his way and he got jumped by some thugs and some thieves. And they beat him up and they took everything that he had and they left him to die there on the side of the road. Jesus is telling them of the story. And Jesus goes on to say, luckily for this guy, a priest shows up. A priest or a pastor shows up and he could see the man lying there. And Jesus said, he kind of angled himself off and continued on. Now this story kind of hits close to home because I'm kind of a pastor. (laughs) And it doesn't really demonstrate a very good example of how he's seen a need and for whatever reason angled off. And I'm just speaking for myself here, but sometimes that is what can happen when we allow empathy to creep in where a need and we're just like, you know what, I'm I'm too busy. I can't respond. I don't know what to do. I can't fix it. And so sometimes our natural tendency is just to pretend like you don't see it. Jesus goes on to say the next person comes. Scripture calls him a Levite, which is like, you know, a temple assistant. Like he's a training for ministry. One of the things that I love about summer here at Moncton Wesleyan is we have, um, we have interns here that are training for ministry. And I love that. And Cassandra did an amazing job this morning on the offering. But this Levite, temple assistant, scripture says that he sees him. He goes actually, one translation says he checks on him. And then he leaves the scene. Now, I don't know what was going through his head, but maybe, maybe he didn't feel qualified. It's like, oh, this is too messy. I don't know what to do with this right now. So I am just, I'm just going to know what he's seen me, right? And he's off. Now I want to pause right there for a moment to think about the man that is left lying on the side of the road. And I just felt like I, I needed to say this, that maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in person, or maybe you'll watch in weeks or months to come, but you maybe feel like you are that person that life has kind of just left you there, and you feel alone, you feel abandoned, and to make it worse, somebody, like maybe the two individuals that we just mentioned here, maybe they didn't stop to check in on you. 
Maybe you felt like they took advantage, whatever the case may be, but they didn't help you in the way that they should have. And you've kind of allowed that hurt to hang on. And as I was preparing for this message, I just wanted to be able to tell you and say this, that God is asking that you would forgive them. Not for them, but for you. Not because they did something right, but God wants you to have the freedom from living with that anger and resentment of how somebody didn't treat you the way that they should because he wants you to be free. And so maybe whomever you may be listening this morning, I just pray that, that, that God would just make that so real and so evident so that you can become free today. But let's continue on with our story. The last person in our story here is what maybe some of you have heard this reference is the Good Samaritan. So the Good Samaritan is on his way to Jericho and he sees this man. What you got to understand is, is that the Good Samaritan and the Jews, the, the guy on the side of the road was a Jewish, the Samaritans and the Jews, they did not like each other. They hated one another. There was anger. There was animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. The good Samaritan sees the man lying there and he reaches down and offers him help and he bandages him up and he puts ointment on his wounds and he cares for that man on the side of the road. And not only does he care for him, but he picks him up and he puts him on his donkey. And he takes him to an inn, which would be like a hospital for today. And here we have the Samaritan taking care of him. And he goes to the hospital and he pays up front and says, I want you to take care of my friend. I've got some things I need to do, some business that I need to take care of. I'll be back in a couple of days. And if there's anything that I owe you over and above, I will take care of the bill for you. And then Jesus looks at the lawyer, looks at the group of people in front of him, and he responds with this. Mr. Lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor. A mic drop moment. A mic drop moment in front of all those people. And the lawyer responds with this. He responds, well, it was the guy who showed mercy. It was the guy who showed mercy to that individual. Now, I read this story, and I got to be completely honest with you. There is no way that I could ever be that good Samaritan. Like, he's an enemy to him, and he, like, responds and gives. 
Like, I don't know about you, but I struggle to love the people that are closest to me. Right? Like, this seems impossible for us to achieve. And then it kind of occurred to me, the good Samaritan in this story might just be Jesus. Jesus was displaying in this story the greatest level of love that could ever be demonstrated. He reached out to somebody that was an enemy. He took care of him. He paid for him. Jesus paid the price for all of us. And he even went over and above and says, if I owe you anything else, I'm just going to give more to you. That is the ultimate story of Jesus. He set the bar up here and we are somewheres here. So what do we do with this? It's kind of the question that I ask myself. And as I began to think about the story, I began to realize that maybe what if that hospital was the church? And maybe my role as an individual, as a person, when we see people in need, people that are broken, people that are looking for answers to questions and they're struggling, maybe my job as a Christian is just to be able to share the difference that God has made in my life in a way that makes sense to them. And then maybe... If that goes okay, maybe I could tell them how I experienced all of this. And there's this place called Moncton Wesley and that has been a big part of my story. We have some really great environments for people that are struggling like divorce care, grief share, celebrate recovery. We have an incredible youth ministry for students that are searching, looking for answers children's programs, teaching kids from the beginning of who God is. What if the hospital represents the church and today, tomorrow, we are just looking for opportunities to be able to just bring some love and some care and some compassion to people. Not preach a message, but just demonstrate the love of God in us in just a real casual way that people will respond. I don't know about you, but do you think that that is achievable? If we could just start from there and then we allow God to do what only God can do and begin to change and repair and heal and bring hope to people. I don't know about you, but that excites me a little bit as we begin to dream about what a church could look like. Are you guys with me this morning? As we begin to conclude, the last verse of this scripture, the expert in the law replied, the only one who had, the one who had mercy, and Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And that's what he's calling us to do. So, do I think that a 30-minute conversation on this is going to bring complete life change? No, but I believe it can be a beginning. Because I read this story just this week 
about some, some college students at Princeton University. They were studying to go into ministry. And so there was this class of students that they didn't know it, but they were part of an experiment. True story. They divided the class up into two groups of people. They took one group. They brought them across the campus to to a theater where they talked to them about the story of the Good Samaritan. And then they had this group think about the story and how they could apply it to their life and not only that, but they prepared them to, to speak and to share their insights to the other half of their class. This was an experiment. They didn't know. So, once they had all of their, their thoughts and everything, they were to then move over across the campus and walk across the campus the group that had heard the story of the Good Samaritan, also the group who hadn't. They were on their way to another part of the campus. And strategically, they placed an actor on the ground that it was very evident that he was in need of help. They wanted to do an experiment to see if there was a difference between the group that had just heard about the empathy and the compassion passion and the caringness of the Good Samaritan and if they responded in any different way. Interesting enough, there was no evident difference. Even after they had spent time studying, they were going to prepare a message for this group of people over here. And the story says that even some of the people that, that were ready to speak, they stepped over. They walked around this guy that was evidently in pain and in need of help. And when I read that story, I said, dear God, how can we create the change that's necessary that moves it from here to here so that we can do something out here? And I just felt that it begins with God doing a work in here. We call that the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that that conscience on the inside of us. If you've ever done something wrong, no one else was there, nobody saw you, but there's something in here that was just like, you know. That's the voice of what I would say the Holy Spirit. And so I thought today we would just leave with maybe just spending a few minutes and allowing the Holy Spirit to maybe do a work here. Would that be okay? Could I ask if you guys would just stand with me this morning? And we would just begin to open ourselves up, open our heart and shut our mind off and say, Holy Spirit, start with me. It might sound like this. You might be saying, Holy Spirit, I can't love the people the way I would like to love them anymore. And to that, I would say this. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You might be saying, God, 
I can't even feel your presence anymore like I used to. To that I would say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Maybe you feel alone. And people have turned their back on you and you feel like you are by yourself in this mess. To you, I would say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. If you want to be a person of empathy, a person of compassion and passion for your life this morning, would you just sing this with us? Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.